and welcome to Who Books That with Harrison Greenbaum. I'm your host, Harrison Greenbaum. We're here every Wednesday at 7 p.m. if you're on the East Coast, 4 p.m. if you're on the uh, on the West Coast, and 6 p.m. if you're on Central Time, uh, like our guest last week, Suzanne, was uh, coming to us from uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, she was an incredible guest, so make sure you check out that episode. Make sure you check out all of the episodes. Uh, they're available at whobooksat.com. You can also click on the link at whobooksat.com to download this show as a podcast. Um, thanks to uh, you guys supporting the show and all your positive reviews. If you leave a five-star review, that helps a lot. Uh, this show is now in the top 100 performing arts podcast in five, no, sorry, six countries around the world. Uh, it is in the top 50 in Australia, one of my favorite countries, uh, Japan, Germany, uh, the United States, the UK, and Canada. Yes! Uh, so keep downloading those episodes. I will keep uploading those episodes as soon as these finish. So you have an audio version. You can listen uh, driving around, going nowhere because it's a pandemic. Um, you can tune in every Wednesday, of course, 7 p.m., 4 p.m. And this show, as always, is sponsored by the International Brotherhood of Magicians, uh, the IBM. Uh, Alexander, uh, the former president, Alexander, was a great supporter of this show. And incoming president, Stephen Bragazzi, has been a guest on this show. Uh, they uh, have both been incredible, as is everybody involved in the wonderful organization that is the International Brotherhood of Magicians. You can join them, magician.org slash join the IBM slash join. If you're listening by a podcast, there's a dash between the join the IBM. So it's magician.org slash join dash the dash IBM slash join. You can join, renew your membership. Um, and take advantage of an incredible organization that has been doing incredible stuff throughout this crazy, crazy time. Well, it is now my pleasure to bring on our first guest. I am so, so excited. Um, not only does she have an incredible amount of credits, she's performed uh, on a ton of television. She's performed at Lincoln Center. Uh, she is the only female to win the Illusionist Award from uh, the Milburn Christopher Award. It's the Milburn Christopher Illusion Award. I knew I would struggle with that, but I got it. I have a post-it. Uh, she also is a Merlin Award winner, and uh, I am so, so excited to have her on the show. So make some noise. Get excited. From your apartment or home, it's Lynn Dillies, everybody. Hey, Harrison. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing quite well. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so thrilled. It is a, a huge thrill. I might have alluded to this a little bit earlier when we were talking, but for those who are watching, uh, I, I, re I had an epiphany while I was doing research on this episode because I knew I had seen a, a magician when I was a little kid. My first big magic show, it was at Brooklyn College because uh, my grandmother, uh, my mom's mother, loves uh, taking me to museums and tried to expose me to as much art. Uh, she would take me to a Broadway show every year for my birthday. And she saw that there was going to be a magic show at the Brooklyn Center at Brooklyn College. Uh, and uh, I remember being blown away um, I remember uh, you you had a, a gentleman on stage and you uh, interviewed him about his dream date. Uh, I remember that. And uh, there was a picture that came up of you doing that. And, and I, I realized you might have been the first true magician I've ever seen. I found the write-up in New York Magazine. There it is. Back in 1993, <laughs> oh, um, I was seven years old. <laughs> um, and uh, you were definitely one of my first inspirations to to uh, be a magician. So thank you. And also, this is all your fault. <laughs> You're welcome, Harrison. How are you doing? Oh, hey, listen, you know, it is um, an illusion within an illusion these days, trying to hang in there during this pandemic. It's totally insane. But, yeah. you know, just plugging along here. I feel yeah. 
That's uh, that's what this show is about. I, I, I when people ask me uh, why I do it, I I always tell them this is the one time I get to speak to these people because they're some for some reason less busy than they normally are. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No. You know, tough times, but you know, plugging along, trying to stay positive. Absolutely. Uh, well, one of the things that's really cool about your show is that you actually it is very autobiographical, and you talk about uh, your journey. Um, uh, you mentioned also in your book, uh, your, your vote is magic, which I highly recommend people pick up, um, that you were sort of, sort of a nerdy kid and that magic allowed you to sort of get out of your shell. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes. So when I was, um, a young girl, I was extremely shy. I was, oh no, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I told you I, I had some pictures you might not know that I have. <laughs> I was you're, you're in the yellow, I believe, right? I'm the one in yellow. Yep. Yep. As my, my family says, a, a young little Taylor Swift. I, I don't see it, but anyway, <laughs> love those nylons too. Um, but no, I was super shy, bullied, you know, had hardly any friends, absolutely hated going to school. I, I would, I would become ill about going to school. And then at 12 years old, there was this really cool TV show called The Magicians starring the late Bill Bixby. He was on the show using his magic to fight crime. Didn't hurt that he was a very handsome multimillionaire <laughs> jet setter with his own private jet, you know. But anyway, I had my dad bring me to a local magic shop, uh, check the name out, Cheap John's Joke Shop. So I went in there and um, purchased a couple little tricks, you know, wonder blocks, um, you know, the, the color changing dot trick and brought them home and, and just, I was so diligent about practicing. You know, I had to I had to have the trick perfect before I even showed it to anybody. And I brought them with me to school, showed my friends on the on the bus in the lunchroom and the classroom. And little by little, everything just started to click. And it was like transforming. It was amazing how my shyness started to disappear. And then from there, I um, started to make my own tricks. And I grew up in a really small town and, uh, you know, one one book on magic at the library. So I read it over and over again. And I made all these tricks, put them in a cardboard box. Used to, honest, true story. Way, there's there's an important uh, distinction here because there's two kinds of kid magicians. There's the kid magician who got that book at the library and then put it back so that another kid could be inspired later. And then there was the other kind of kid who would keep that book and never put it back. So they were the only person with that secret. Uh, are you, were you the yeah. first or the latter? I think I still have that book, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair <laughs> but enough. the library's closed now. <laughs> so I, I put all these tricks in a little box, and I would literally walk around my neighborhood. I'd ring my neighbor's doorbell and ask if they wanted to see a little show in their living room. And I'd set up on a card table. I'd do my little act, pack up, and move on to the next neighbor's house. And um, thank you were like, a, like a traveling saleswoman, but for, for magic. <laughs> I was, I was, and it, really, you know, it was probably right before the pandemic that I stopped performing in the hood. <laughs> <laughs> but it, that's really how I got my start. And then I would literally walk up and down the highways collecting aluminum cans to turn into recycle for money to buy, you know, more and more professional props. And I had my heart set on the, uh, the headless box trick. It was <laughs> on the top shelf at Cheap John's Joke Shop, you know, so... The day that I went to buy that trick is the day that I knew I was going to run into John Stetson. And I was pretty, pretty nervous and psyched to meet John, you know, because he was like the big celebrity in town. And um, between that and spending $65 on the headless box trick, I passed out cold right on the floor. <laughs> it wasn't so cheap. Cheap John's did not live up to his name. That trick sounds no. pretty good. <laughs> 
No, but that's, you know, from there, Harrison, I started doing birthday party shows and scout groups and nursing homes, et cetera, to build my experience. And, you know, I had my sights set on how I wanted my show to develop someday. And I'm glad, I'm glad the name of the magic store was Cheap John's because you sent me a couple of photos from your childhood, which uh, like these notebook uh, and you wrote Cheap John's. And I was very much hoping that John wasn't just some friend who was helping you out. <laughs> no, that was actually the name of the store. It was in New Bedford, Massachusetts, and I, I used to catalog every single trick that I either, either purchased or made, you know, and I had a description of the trick, and, you know, sometimes some of them had more detail about the type of, um, you know, age group for the audience and so forth, and how much I spent on the trick, and it was it was really amazing. And does that note-taking uh, continue to today, or do you eventually uh, have too many tricks to catalog? Oh, no, I, I think right now it would make me uh, sick to my stomach how much I've invested in my show. <laughs> oh, there's Wonder Blocks. That was a dollar. I also like, yes. so are these little assessments that you have? Because it says adults, very good, children, just good. <laughs> yes, right. I thought at the time that it wasn't quite as appropriate for children. I don't know why. But um, yeah, no angles on that one. That was one of the first ones I ever purchased. And then there was Color Jam that was homemade. Yeah. Yeah, that's hysterical. I came across those the other day. And I love that you said, don't do more than once, because I think this is the one where you uh, force the color. And so you get <laughs> more than once, they're like, it's always red. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's why. <laughs> I also know that, so you, you started out, how, how young were you when you officially started? You were like seven or eight? Uh, no, 12. And then when oh. I when I got my first um, professional gig, it was around 14 or 15 years old. Oh, there I am. Yes, that was probably around 15 or so. I love that plaid jacket. My dad helped me out. decorations, it was Easter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that was at one of those, um, you know, I think it was like a Elk Lodge or something like that. Yeah, LD for Lynn Dillies, of course. Miss Lynn D, magician. I still have that sign in the cellar. <laughs> when, when did you change? When did Miss Lynn D become Lynn Dillies? Well, it kind of morphed into the magic of Lynn for many years. And then I just decided to um, forego that and just go with my regular name. You know, I just thought it had a nice little ring to it. It was different, you know, so just kind of because magic of Lynn, it could be the magic of Teddy doing birthday parties. It just, so I kind of phased that one out. I, I tried to get away. I, I'm Harrison Greenbaum is, is uh, my very Jewy real name as, which, as well as my stage name. But I tried to change it when I was younger. And my dad said my grandparents didn't survive Holocaust for me to change my name. Uh, and uh, I remember him telling me, but Sarah, Sarah Silverman didn't change her name. And it, she was fine. And I finally got to work with Sarah. Um, this was years ago. And I told her the story. I said, you know, you're one of the examples my dad pointed to when uh, I wanted to change my name. And she said, tell him it cost me a lot of work. <laughs> That's awesome. But you uh, you got some uh, pretty good press right out of the gate. Um, I have here a, an article from Scholastic Magazine. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it says Lynn started to do magic when she was 13. Now she is 15, and she is a real magician. Without That's reading the article, awesome. Lynn, uh, I don't want you to read the article. I will ask okay. you the questions at the end of the article. It is uh, normally to test reading comprehension, but since this is your story, I imagine you'll be able to answer it without knowing what's in the story. But it says, to do magic well, Lynn says, A, you need to practice, 
B, you need to play baseball, or C, you must move in a slow way. Yes, practice, practice, practice. Absolutely. Uh, career means about the same as job, hobby, or magic show. <laughs> yep, career. <laughs> I think it can mean all three, actually. Uh, it's in, good. in your it's case, good. magic show is your career. Um, and then this last question, um, I'm going to be honest, was the hardest one for me to answer, even having read the article. But it says, another career Lynn might like is A, driving trucks, B, acting on the stage, or C, farming. Oh, well, definitely not farming. But coincidentally, <laughs> I do love driving my truck. That's right. I, I read <laughs> that. and It was interesting because I think the answer they're trying to get you to say is acting on the stage, I believe. Um, yeah. But driving trucks uh, for a random wrong answer is actually kind of correct, I feel. Oh, yeah. I love my truck. And you, I believe you and your dad shared that passion, right? Yes. My dad, there it is. My dad helped me spec out that truck. He was so proud of that truck. He was also very proud of the fact that my truck was bigger than his. <laughs> he loved that. But um, no, I really seriously enjoy getting behind the wheel with my crew and cruising around the country. I really love it. And how does, I mean, as you know, as an illusionist, it's it's a very expensive investment. Those tricks are big. You have to, uh, the transportation is difficult. How do you how do you build that up? Is it one illusion at a time? Is there a big investment up front? What was the journey from no illusions to master illusionist? Right, right. Well, you do have to crawl before you can walk. You know, you have to um, have a good foundation in magic. You have to know every aspect of it and learn how to be a good performer, a good magician before you're going to be hopefully a good illusionist. So I started out with one illusion at a time. And I, I looked at my show as kind of a, a puzzle. I love puzzles, by the way. So <laughs> I put all the pieces in place. You know, I wanted to make sure I had a really strong opening, definitely a strong ending. And then it was filling everything in between and making sure that every every piece could stand on its own if it had to. You know, and, and even the filler, the smaller effects between the illusions had to be strong. And that's the ultimate goal, I think, for anybody putting together um, a large touring show. You know, it has to be really airtight. And uh, there we go. There's the Twister illusion. And uh, that's a real fun one. I love that one. And uh, yeah, so, you know, it's just all building blocks, Harrison. And, and then, um, you know, kind of weaving a little bit of a story together, uh, you know, just putting in some of those extra little touches here and there. The music's super important to me. Um, some comedy as well. You know, a lot of, lot of ad-libbing and so forth. Of course, it's not really ad-libbing, but it appears that way. And yeah, it just, it all it all comes together like a well-oiled machine. And uh, one of the things that's interesting too about these illusions is uh, most often when you see them, it's male magician, female assistant. You've completely reversed that dynamic. Has that presented any difficulty, especially in terms of the actual illusion themselves might be built, had to be rebuilt too? Yes, absolutely. I mean... These illusions are designed for, for somebody like me, like a toothpick, you know? So um, it's been really challenging. It really has with the role reversal. And I give my male assistants and partners an immense amount of credit for their, their diligence, their loyalty to the show, you know, even just to, to maintain their, their size and their weight and so forth. It's, um, it's, it's really a testament to their loyalty and, uh, 
I love them all. I really do. There's there's Mark LeBlanc appearing in the Crystal Casket Illusion in front of one of our symphony performances. Yep. One of the things that I read is that um, there, there was a moment where having high heels was particularly dangerous. Um, <laughs> can, you take, can you take us back to that moment um, when there was a, a disaster struck? Oh, I've had a couple of doozies. Um, there was one where I don't know why I thought that the higher the heel, you know, the, the more effective the show would be. <laughs> but it happened to get stuck in a little a little crevice in the stage, and it literally just came off, you know. And um, I think I've had a tumble or two through the years. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, and I mean, I guess uh, in terms of uh, there, there are very few female magicians, even fewer female illusionists. Have you noticed over time that that the that it's become less difficult, um, or do you think that it's still the same kind of challenges um, that when you began? Well, I think fortunately there are a lot more women in magic, which I'm thrilled to see. That's real progress, you know. But for an illusionist, a little different. No, it's just it's such a commitment in so many ways, and it's it's more than just being the illusionist you have to learn every aspect of the business you literally have to be prepared to get you know dirt under your fingernails you know you've, you've got to get under your truck when when something's going on you got to learn how to fix props and so forth so it's um it's all encompassing and never a dull moment so i don't know if that's one of the drawbacks you know for a lot of the um females out there looking to become a an illusionist. I don't know if it's a sign of the times that there just aren't as many illusion acts right now uh, for practicality reasons as well. It's extremely expensive to keep going. It really is, unless you're going to get a long-term sit-down like Vegas or a place like that. So to to do these one-offs that that I had done a lot of, and you know a lot a lot of that goes um, back to you know just uh, caring for my mom basically i couldn't i couldn't go out on the road for an extended length of time so that meant that i had to just go out do one or two shows and come back home that's really really hard when you're an illusionist to keep all that going was there ever any plan to to take it to las vegas or any of those kind of markets or has it always been east coast focused well i have performed all around the country from coast to coast but as far as um trying to get into vegas i never really Tried that hard, Harrison, to be honest with you, because basically um, for family reasons, you know, I just yeah. I didn't want to get locked into a long-term contract. Yeah. Well, on the other side of it, though, one of the uh, incredible shows that you tour um, is your work with the symphonies. Um, and I believe you premiered it in New York City at Lincoln Center. Uh, here's a picture, I think, of you and your parents at Lincoln Center. Yes. Yes, that was in the green room afterwards. Because it's got to be both very exciting, because Lincoln Center is huge, but also terrifying because that was the first time you'd ever done this show, the, the sort of premiere cool. performance. Yes, exactly. Um, so I had the brainstorm of this program combining my magic with the popular classics played by a full symphony orchestra to perform the illusions right in front of the full symphony. And it took a long time to put the program together, music choices, et cetera, and then to promote it, to market it. And one day I was in New York City with a good friend of mine and she asked me about the symphony program. She said, what's happening with that? I said, I, I don't know. Hopefully, you know, it'll come to fruition someday. But wouldn't you know, that was the day. It was on my birthday. I received the call from my manager and he said, you won't believe this. You're gonna be premiering this at Lincoln Center. I couldn't believe it. So I, 
I would love that birthday present. I know of all places. So I was able to arrange a meeting and I went to Lincoln Center the next day and and I really I walked on stage and my legs were were just shaking, you know. It, it was just so I was awestruck. It was beautiful. And then um, you know, we we pulled it together. One of my fondest memories in my entire career was when my dad arranged to hire a private bus and he had uh, family, friends, fans filling the bus to go see us perform at Lincoln Center. It was it was incredible. So um, yes, as a result, that performance led to me performing all around the country with different symphonies. And it's one of my very favorite things to do. I'm very, very passionate about that program. And I think as much as your, your dad and mom were instrumental in, in influencing your magic, I think your grandfather was kind of instrumental in influencing your love of instruments. No pun intended. He really was. Yeah. He was a, there, oh my goodness. There he is. That's my grandfather, um, Kenneth Park. And he was a very, very well-known violinist. He occasionally performed with Arthur Friedler and the Boston Pops when they came to our area. And he taught me how to play the violin. And I finally got up to third position, was doing pretty well. We used to uh, play Christmas duets every Christmas together. That's my dad in the background pretending like he's conducting. And my cousin Martha was holding on to the book. She was a great book holder. And uh, it was it was fantastic. And so I couldn't do two things at once. You know, I, it was either the violin or my magic. And, and really the magic just uh, took over. Well, one of the things also, I guess when you're performing for an orchestra, because illusions, uh, there's a timing to it, and usually it's to music and you know exactly when it's going to happen. But with a live orchestra, I, I imagine conductors might go a little bit AWOL sometimes. <laughs> Has there any been any difficulty in keeping them in time with the magic that you're doing right in front of them? Well, we have to adjust to them, you know, and sometimes they have more caffeine <laughs> than other times. <laughs> And then you're really like speeding up the illusion. You're like, oh God, get in the box, get in the box. <laughs> and, and I'm a stickler for hitting those crescendos and everything, you know? So um, that's what makes it really, really exciting. And so you just have to adjust, but that's what makes it so cool. You know, you're, you're on the edge of your seat the whole time. It's like a roller coaster ride. You come off stage, you're like, oh, that was amazing. I can't wait to do that again, you know? But while you're doing it, it's, it's crazy because you've got, You've got the focus on the illusions. You've got this full symphony, 80, 90 pieces right in back of you playing this music. It's, it's insane, but it's, it's really, really incredible. Has, has there ever been a point where the orchestra was going too slow? Because I feel like that's also got to be a weird moment where you're just trying to stretch things out a little bit. Fortunately, no, um, because we worked that out in rehearsal. You know, I, I sit there with my stopwatch and we go through the whole piece and then I, I clock it and I say, well, you know, we're, we're in the ballpark. You've got to crank this up a little bit more or whatever. And, and the conductors are all super understanding um, about how critical the timings are. And they, they get, um, you know, a CD beforehand with the music and sometimes a DVD uh, with, with different tempos set and so forth. So they do their homework up front. And they'll they'll send the music out to all the musicians a few months ahead of time, so it's uh, it's quite the feat to pull off. It really is. One of the things I also I, I loved reading about uh, in your story. Um, this is you and Dad. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, Dad helped build uh, your first metamorphosis uh, trunk, correct? Yes, he did. He was so proud of that. He um, he went to an antique store, and he bought this this trunk with a rounded top 
Go figure. Oh God. <laughs> 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 you know, he did an amazing job with that trunk, and you could even examine it. That was the cool part about it. He had it all lined with carpet and everything. And you know, that was back in the day where instead of having a hoop that went around the perimeter, it was check this out. It was like a um a, a portable. Uh, it was a type of structure. Oh, it took forever to assemble it, but uh, that's nice, Matt. <laughs> but we had to um put together all this piping with a shower curtain attached all the way around. You know, it was, yeah, it was really ugly, but anyway, he got the job done. But the beauty of the, you mentioned the carpeting. So it seems like he built, he did something that few illusions do, which is he made it kind of comfortable. In that particular one, that's the most comfortable metamorphosis I've ever had. But, but the one that I've done for all these years that we're really known for, because the timing's really impeccable. It's just the standard wooden crate. And, and I like it that way because the audience can relate to it just being a crate. Fair, that's true. Although you can probably get yeah. up a lot more if it's it just look, wood. Yeah, but it doesn't look too proppy. It's just super basic. I, I really like that, you know, but um, that's probably the one illusion I'm, I'm most proud of because of the consistency of the timing. Well, that's even, perfect. Ha even uh, having neck surgery, Harrison, it was still, it was oh still, I, yes, I literally broke my neck and didn't know that I broke my neck. And it was, how, as did, a how did you break your neck? Was it magic related or unrelated? <laughs> well, it was, it was um, a little, little snag with metamorphosis. That's not a little snag, it. that's a big snag. <laughs> I just thought I, I just, um, you know, tweaked it really badly and, and went that way for almost eight months and still performed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, that's unbelievable. So not only did you finish that show, you finished eight months worth of shows. Yeah. With following. <laughs> that's unreal. And actually, and also, by the way, I think it answers our question. It says, what is your favorite stage illusion to perform and why? Um, is it the metamorphosis? It is definitely metamorphosis. If I could perform with elephants every day of the week, that would be that would be <laughs> the best. But it's uh, it's not too practical. But that let's, was let's talk point. about the elephants. Um, there, there you are. I think that's Ruth and uh, and you know, Emily, Edith, Edith, Emily, Emily. Yes, okay. My girlfriend's name is also Emily, so I was very nervous that I was accidentally calling the elephant by my girlfriend's name, which she would not have been happy about. <laughs> but I'm glad that it's on the record that that elephant is also named Emily. I am not <laughs> making a critical error. No, no, those are my gal pals, Emily and Ruthie. And that was um, when we had done a mind reading effect. The first illusion that I had performed with them was back in 2000 when I produced both elephants. That was in New Bedford at the Buttonwood Park Zoo. And the zoo was under renovation and it was reopening. And I proposed the idea to the mayor of New Bedford, Mayor Kalis, about the, um, the concept of producing one of the elephants for the grand opening. So he was pretty excited about that. Here we are. There's Emily. And that was the illusion that we performed. And halfway during the whole process of developing the illusion, I had a brainstorm of how I could make Ruthie appear in succession. So that was that was phenomenal because the audience was, you know, Harrison, I'm sure you've had some of these wow moments on stage during your career where yeah. you're like, wow, that was an aha moment. Well, for me... <laughs> In, in all the years I've been doing this, when I perform that illusion, 
and produced Emily in front of a live audience. You know, it was a one shot deal. That moment when she appeared, that was an aha moment. I mean, people just screamed. It was so beautiful. And then I repeated the illusion immediately. This is the cool part. So Emily appeared, the whole structure that the, the curtain thing dropped. And then I, I asked my crew to raise it again. And then I made mention of the, um, the artwork on the front of it that they had uh, trunk painted. And then the whole thing dropped again and boom, there was Ruthie, the second elephant. So I found out that that had made magic history. It's been archived in the Society of American Magicians, National That's Archive. Amazing. Yeah. You, so you're the first and only magician to produce two elephants. In succession like that, yes. That's so cool. And and as a result, I, I discovered that the elephants love to paint. They're very talented artists. And, um, you know, after that, I, I really fell in love with both of them. And it would make numerous trips to the zoo every couple of months with their favorite treats, red seedless grapes. I was known <laughs> as a grape lady locally, you know, because I would go to these stores and buy, you know, just hordes of grapes. <laughs> did you tell yeah. them that uh, you you were giving them to elephants or did they just think you had an insane appetite for just one food? <laughs> Either that or I love wine. I don't know. <laughs> You're running a, a, a winery operation in your basement. <laughs> but anyway, so I decided to put another illusion together where I would do a mind reading feat, a prediction of what they were going to paint in advance. And the box was on display in the lobby at the zoo. And then the night of the event, uh, Mayor Kalis brought the box over to the site. We connected it to a, a little pulley on a rope and it was suspended in front of the audience and the elephants came out and they painted on a large canvas. And wouldn't you know, then the box was lowered, opened up and it was my prediction matching exactly what the elephants had painted. And who, who built that prediction uh, effect? Was it, was it built by somebody? Yes, that was Wellington, Bill Schmelk. Nice. And has he built a lot of your stuff in the past? He's built probably 90% of my props. Wow. He's an amazing, amazing builder. Yeah. And, That's um, a very specific number. So let's double check that. I, I totally believe you. I trust you. But here is Bill Schmelk himself. <laughs> Hi, Lynn. How are, How are you? you? Good, I'm doing thank fine. You. How's Good it going, Bill? Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a treat, Bill. This is awesome. And I have to say one thing about uh, Lynn, when she buys a trick, she doesn't just uh, buy it and do the, the normal thing. She adds something unique to it all the time. Uh, I especially like her head shopper routine. And uh, that's one of the things, as a, as a builder, it's nice to build stuff for people that you know are going <clears> to <throat> enhance it and make it, uh, make it more than just, I bought the prop and I'm doing it. And she does that. And she's, we've also done a bunch of unique things for her that uh, some of her, her I, <clears throat> ideas, uh, I'm thinking of the metamorpho spots that time. Oh, yeah. The big one, bowling ball and all. Bowling ball production, yep, yep. Our little uh, modifications on Twister and um, yeah, Twister the, was another ultimately became the conductor illusion for the symphonies, which I've gotten so much use out of, and you've seen that performed. Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, and and Lynn has been uh, the first person to perform uh, several of the effects that, that have come out of your shop. Is that correct? Yes. Actually, she was the first one to, to do master prediction. Yeah, That's uh, right. With the elephant painting. That, that was one of the things that uh, drove us to make it because she needed to have a prediction that was big enough to fit an elephant painting in. <laughs> <laughs> it was like three feet by four feet. It was a huge piece of paper. 
Yes. Yeah, Lynn's phone calls are different. Don't pay me small broad. What's that? I feel I feel like Lynn's phone calls are different than most illusionist phone calls because uh, you might hear, "Hey, we're going to put an elephant painting." Right. <laughs> and they don't use small more brushes. They brush with big brushes. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I've heard the uh, the origami because because uh, Lynn's male assistant obviously is built like a man, so it's more of a triangular shape than uh, your yeah. prototypical yeah. Uh, sort of skinny dancer type. Um, so has, has have there been any modifications you had to make? Yes, that's an illusion that is that is very tight for a slim gal, and putting a guy in it was tough. In fact, uh, I can remember Mark had to put Vaseline on his arm so he could be forced into this thing. <laughs> That's a sign of a dedicated assistant, though. Oh, right. Yeah. Up every show. Always, you know he's a keeper. We've had dedicated assistants. I sure who, have. Who, I've been so, so blessed. Yeah. And Mark, Mark unfortunately, could not be with us uh, tonight, but he did tell me that um, the origami was a very tight squeeze, um, so he was not, it was not, it was not his favorite illusion to perform. No. And during the hurricane, there was a hurricane that destroyed a lot of your your workshop, but somehow that was the only thing that survived. The one thing he was kind of hoping would get destroyed. <laughs> that was 19, oh, I forget, 99, I think. Hurricane Floyd kind of wiped us out for a while. Oh, that was devastating, Bill. My goodness. You had a whole bunch of head choppers go into the Hudson. And, and several hundred magic switchboards. That's got to be yeah, very confusing for Which I think uh, appeared at Davenport's magic shop a few months later <laughs> in England. Yeah, because they went yeah. down the Hudson River. <laughs> I mean, I can only imagine if you were doing the cleanup effort and you found a bunch of head yeah. choppers and switchboards. I mean, I'm wondering what the hell happened during the hurricane. <laughs> yeah. Brutal. That was, that was I bought my house twice. <laughs> <laughs> Dedication, Bill. Dedication, right? Because we, we love what we do so much. And Bill, having worked like so long with Lynn and, and, and really seeing her evolve, uh, is the Lynn that you first met when you built her first illusion, how is that different or the same from the, the Lynn now? Wow. I'm trying to think of what the first one was. Was it the master prediction with the elephants? Uh, I forget. No, no. I think, um, oh my goodness. It, it might have been Twister. Or origami. It wasn't Twister, because I remember you already had a show going, and I went to see you, and we looked at, you know, we measured some some things. And, oh, okay, yeah. okay, yeah. But, um, uh, oh my goodness, there there have been so many, you know, when you modified the crystal casket for us with the new opening, so I could be produced right. on top of the crystal. You know, there have yeah. been so many, Bill. Lynn, so Lynn has been very good at good at giving advice and contributing to the way something should be built and also taking advice. So and I think those are two very important things that 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 benefit both the builder and the uh, illusionist. And is there anything that sticks out in terms of um, of those modifications that she's made? Is there a trend on, on what they are? Is it about comfort, deception, uh, uh, visibility? We don't we don't design any illusion for comfort. We design it for deception. <laughs> That's fair. Got to see. We don't care about the comfort factor. <laughs> okay, unless, unless you're uh, that for deception. I love when though we that. Somebody, dad, though, made whenever, sure that his daughter did not get hurt in the in, in the metamorphosis. <laughs> whenever we measure somebody to fit in something, you know, we'll usually make a frame or something, and they kind of lay in it. 
then we reduce the dimensions. You know, we get it as small as we can. And then without telling them, we reduce the dimensions in each direction. Because if you can get in it right away, it's too big. It's got to be something you have to work at getting in. And if you make oh, yeah. it so they get in easily the first time, it's too big. Because then they'll be hanging pictures inside and all that, you know. <laughs> they get too comfortable. Then they go off there. They, uh, they start to be more. <laughs> you don't want to They stay in there. Have you ever had to adjust an illusion because the assistant has changed size? Well, with some illusions like the origami, probably the, the worst thing they can say to me is, I'm doing it with my wife. Oh, no. And, and they can't say, hey, honey, take off a few pounds. So, <laughs> so I always prefer when they have their own assistant. Fair enough. Uh, but Bill, I, I appreciate you so much for joining. Is there any uh, last uh, Lynn stories you'd like to share? Uh, just it, it, it's, it's been a very, it's been a long, long relationship we've had business wise. And uh, I'm very thankful for it. And I uh, wish, wish Lynn the very best in the future, especially in these hard times. I hope we can get over this and start seeing people in face, face to face. It's very tough doing magic when you got to set the audience six feet, each each person six feet apart. So I wish you continued success. And uh, Bill, uh, thank, you, thank you for all the past You're always such a delight to work with, and uh, you're really the best at what you do. And I'm very, very appreciative. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bill, thank, thank you, you so much for joining. And if you would like okay. to uh, check out his incredible uh, uh, illusion building workshop, go to Wellington Ent. ENT.com, WellingtonENT.com, uh, and check it out. Uh, he is amazing. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Take care, Lynn. Take care. Thank you. And uh, speaking of illusions, uh, we alluded to uh, you know your the two elephant appearance, um, but uh, there was another illusion involving this animal on the right, um, a donkey. Uh, that might have been, I think, even more complicated because elephant the two elephants got along with each other. But I imagine uh, getting an elephant to get along with a donkey is not uh, in their in their nature. No, no, especially when they can represent the two um, live mascots of each political party, Harrison. That's, well, right. If one of them doesn't want to perform, it's going to be a little bit too partisan. Yes. And you know what a hard time they have down in Washington. So you can imagine when you're dealing with with um, with two elephants, uh, two an elephant and a donkey. So there we have the illusion right there. That's a nice segue, Harrison, into your vote is magic. I do so, my best. I do my best to do uh, smooth transitions. I'm with you. I'm with you. So that was back in 2008 that that happened. And I had a brainstorm of this massive, spectacular illusion that I could perform that would deliver a visual message about the importance of voting. And I was very passionate about this whole endeavor, created my own public service campaign most of it was inspired from my my dad, Calvin Dillies, who loved politics. He taught me about the importance of voting. And I had lost my dad in 2005. So I kept thinking how excited he would have been about the big election coming up in 08. And that's, that's what was behind the, the brainstorm. So I um, took the original illusion that I had done with the dual elephant production back in 2000. And I it was like creating that on steroids. Because, you know, when, when you're an illusionist, you, you keep dreaming of how can I perfect something? And it was bothering me that, you know, oh, gosh, if I could have done that again, I would have changed this, this, and this, you know. And so I modified it. 
and then came up with this whole new um, brainstorm of producing the donkey and the elephant together. They had to be produced together. I couldn't risk any political fallout if I produced the elephant first. <laughs> People said, oh, look, she's favoring the Republicans. Same thing if I produced Abner the donkey, you know. Well, we knew yeah, we had be, a great- It would also be brutal if the curtain came down and the elephant was alive and there's just a dead donkey in a pool of blood. That would not look good. No, not at all. <laughs> we, we <laughs> you gotta keep people very healthy and very happy the whole time. <laughs> not good, not good. But so, um, no, but basically we had to come up with a whole training plan, you know, for the animals and, and even just rewinding the tape a bit here, the zoo obviously had a great elephant to use. They didn't have a donkey in their collection. I thought, where the heck am I going to find a donkey? So I joined the Donkey Mule Society of New England and became a member. And another organization Are called- Are you still the a member? Because I feel like I, I want to join just so I can say I'm a member of the Donkey Mule, Mule Society of New England. I think I let my membership expire. <laughs> <laughs> but then there was another one. It was even better than that called the Savior Ask Long-Eared Rescue. That's perfect. Became a That's member. That's the only of acceptable time, by the way, to tell any illusionist nice ass. That's the only acceptable time <laughs> is when they are standing next to a donkey. Otherwise, it is not appropriate. You're so right it about that. It might not be appropriate, but at least it's slightly less inappropriate when there's a donkey <laughs> next to you. Exactly. Exactly. But um, anyway, so you know, I, I did find a donkey through through the Donkey Mule Society. Uh, this wonderful lady, Judy Ballantyne, asked me to come up and meet the donkey that she actually rescued. That was Abner. And she was the coolest lady. Love my whole message. Your vote is magic and all of that. And she said, you know, why don't you come up and meet Abner? If you guys click, you can borrow Abner. How does this lady for real, you know? But we uh, fell in love and brought Abner down to the zoo for a little meet and greet with Emily to make sure that neither animal would freak out around each other. And then it took months and months of rehearsal with the animals. I had to have a prototype made um, for, for Emily's barn and, and Abner's den, uh, prototype of the illusion so they could get used to the motion of the illusion, their boundaries, etc. I made a CD of all kinds of different noises. It was played for hours on end every day for the animals. You know, noises like fireworks going off and crowds cheering to desensitize them to any variable. Right? You have one chance to pull this off, so it's gotta go correct yeah. the, the first and only time. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it was done live, you know, and uh, it was very risky. And just to give you an example of how things can go so screwy and be so random, one day I went to check on the animals and they were finally standing within four feet of each other. That was quite the feat. I mean, that took weeks to accomplish. And I show up and, and, and the trainers were astounded and nobody wanted to blink or breathe. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, Abner decides to sneeze. It then <laughs> caused Emily to just jump in the air. And her trunk whipped around and she started trumpeting and her ears are flapping. And then it caused Abner to just take off and bolt. And we right. said, wow. You just saw a 7,000 pound animal get upset. That's pretty amazing. You know, Abner was going to be the X factor because we could not have predicted the sneeze, you know. Right. So it was an ill biter. It was, it was an unbelievable experience performing that illusion. Well, let's show the audience uh, a small taste of the payoff of, uh, of years of work. Um, 2000 producing two elephants, then eight years later, uh, the Your Vote is Magic. Here is a small clip from that performance.
magician to create change. No matter who you choose, your vote is magic. So epic. Uh, and that music is custom, right? That is, uh, yeah. you have that music for that. I was like saluting during it. It's, it's very uh, inspiring. <laughs> I, I had it composed. Joe Carrier was the composer. He's awesome. And uh, here's another uh, subtle but, and hopefully smooth transition. Um, the, the elephant and dog end up becoming good friends. Who, uh, who, are your, who are your closest friends in magic? Who would be your uh, donkey if you were an elephant? John Stetson. He's a great friend. I think he's in the building. Oh my goodness. <laughs> there he is. Hey, Steph, hey. how are you doing? How do you think I'm doing? Having a care in the world. I'm the oldest action star in the business and talking for coming. I feel great. <laughs> uh, John, thank you so much for joining. Uh, it's it's very cool for me. It feels very full circle because as I mentioned at the beginning, Lynn was one of the first magicians I ever saw as like a little kid. And then when I got to college, um, I was supposed to be learning in school, but I was also sneaking off to the mystery lounge and getting a real education um, from you and the boys there. Yeah, so you, I, are you are very guy. responsible for all of this. <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> Lynn, 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 I tell you, I've been watching this 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 puff piece that you've been putting on. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's a beautiful thing. It's like Magic's answer to Us Magazine. Um, <laughs> however, I'm gonna get down and dirty and tell people some stuff here. <laughs> some really good stuff. Lynn is amazing in, in, in so many ways. And I don't care to use the word amazing. I think it's overused and, and, and not used properly. But it's the only word I have for her. Uh, and the big thing is this. When we talk about the stages at Lincoln Center and these perfect venues and places that that she's uh, these beautiful stages that she has graced, that's fabulous. But what we don't necessarily bring up is every place else. I remember when I was uh, spending a lot of time with Ricciardi uh, back in uh, in the late seventies. The thing that amazed people the most, I think, uh, who were paying attention when he was doing a show at the Village Gate was how he could be incredible and look incredible on such a small stage. To be able to perform illusions on a small stage is an incredible art in itself. And I have seen Lynn in impossible situations and several venues that we've uh, we've worked both together and, and individually through the years. I'll get to a place and they'll say, yeah, Lynn was here. And I go, how, you know, how, how is this done? And, and just one tiny example, what we talk about a magic convention and people say, oh, we love working magic conventions because we have to hang out with all the magicians and have fun. Not Lynn. <laughs> Lynn has to is usually driving in from somewhere, working the magic convention for considerably less money than she normally works because she loves magic. 
set the show up all day, deal with uh, the tech, the everything else. And when everyone else is going back after the show, Lynn's got a three hour tear down and probably in the truck heading somewhere tomorrow. As, as the great Carol Roy used to say, it ain't all glamour. <laughs> and, and Lynn is, is just such a, a pro along those lines. She, she does what she has to do to make it work. And uh, so much of the true magic is how she was able to make things happen for, you know, with things breaking down and trucks and logistics and driving and, and people. And it's, it's, it, it's incredible. And the other thing, take a look at her now. You see that soft, gentle, wonderful lady. Don't go up against her, pal. I'll tell you. Do not monkey with her show in any way, shape, or form. I uh, have not only been witness, but I, I've, I've, I've seen a result of the carnage that has come from, uh, let's say, various stage managers at the Concord Hotel or someplace where... Uh, yeah, we'll, we just need you to do this. So if you could just move over here. And, you know, Lynn, uh, small in stature, but man, oh, man, these guys have been for years just trying to push her around by saying, oh, she'll conform because she's such a sweet kid and all this kind of stuff. She sticks to her guns and is tough as nails to present the best show she possibly can and i'll tell you something she doesn't like to do she doesn't like to have to take illusions out of the show either well you don't <laughs> like to cut stuff my gosh and it's uh, and once again i've seen this this thing where we've been working together and i'll be going yeah heck of a lot easier to leave that one in the truck don't you think and uh, <laughs> you know says the guy with the briefcase and um <laughs> Well, no, I, mean, that I think connects you guys because uh, of all the art forms that are under the umbrella of magic, I think people think mentalism and illusions are are on the easier side, and that yeah. can be farther from the truth. Yeah, it's the it's the easiest forms of of mystery entertainment to perform. Can I cuss? No, uh, to <laughs> to perform badly. Yeah, and and I think both in mentalism and uh, and and illusions. It's truly a, uh, a lifestyle, much more than, oh, I think I want to do magic. You know? Uh, you know, and, and so many of these guys who, who go, yeah, I want to be a magician, but uh, not on Wednesday. <laughs> Doesn't quite work that way. And Lynn's uh, dedication to uh, not only uh, her art form, uh, the way she commits to her passion, and the way she commits to her friends and family. Uh, you cannot find a, a more genuine woman anywhere in this world. Uh, she is the quintessential kind-hearted woman. But once again, don't tell her to uh, leave an illusion in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good idea. And uh, where do you, where do you, and it's so funny because Harrison goes, do you have, do you have great, you know, uh, funny Lynn stories? I got funny stories about just about everyone in the world, except Lynn, because she's just so nice. 
she's just such a lady and she just does everything so wonderfully that the stories are all sweet. They're not funny. So um, <laughs> if there's a man to break her, John, though, it's you. Yeah. I have full faith. <laughs> hey, I'm diabetic. Uh, I, uh, I, I can't go. I can't go there. But I've got dirt on you. We'll talk later. Yeah. <laughs> well, if we could go all the way back to, I believe the first, and, and Lynn alluded to this, but I believe the first time you guys met, uh, Lynn fainted. Yeah, well, that at that time in my life, I had that problem. Women fainted uh, <laughs> for years, and uh, it's a curse. It, it, it's a it's a curse. What was that? The masked magician, not not Valentino. But there was a guy who worked. Technically uh, speaking, we're all masked magicians now, at least well, for the yeah. next <laughs> year. But there was a guy who wore a mask, and in his promo, it said, "This is like in the 1800s. He had to wear the mask because if women were to see the true beauty of his face, they would faint and they would have all these problems and things." You look at that. He's a he's a dude. That's amazing. You, know, you, you should you should do that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! Uh, take this off, but you faint. John's joke shop, magic shop, was actually a tobacco store uh, in the eighteen hundreds. I think it opened eighteen seventy-two, three, something like that, in the original history, and then it became the the joke and novelty uh, center for miles and miles around. And uh, there were two uh, wonderful brothers who ran it, and then uh, a great, uh, a, a, a great fellow, uh, a fellow named Joe Burke, bought it. He uh, he uh, was an educator, a school uh, grammar school teacher, and he loved magic and really expanded the magic department there. And you know, science magician on duty, and oh man, it was exciting. It was more than you know our. 13 year old heads could take at the time, you know, it was just a beautiful thing. And was Lynn, what is 13 year old Lynn uh, any different than, than this Lynn? Or are you, was the, like, was there an evolution of style, magic style? Um, or has she been just consistently uh, this amazing? I think it's a time for me. I'm an very, style? Awkward, very yeah. awkward point. I'm an awkward man. Her style <laughs> has been, has been consistent, but it has evolved. It's, it's, it's truly her. It's, it's truly her. And um, what I loved watching through the years was just the confidence level uh, just growing. And just as she became more, well, she was always at home on the stage. I don't think she'd rather be anywhere else in the, in the world. <laughs> but uh, just the confident level as as the years have gone on and what she does in it, it's uh, amazing. Oh, and speaking of amazing, I think that like the Magic Camp kids, this would be the greatest thing that, that should do sometime. Set up a camera or, or something backstage and watch. The show backstage is as entertaining as the show on stage when you look at how systematic everything is and placement and movement of stuff and things, and it just, it, it boggles the mind. You know, when you talk about, oh, some people think this stuff is easy to do. Uh-uh. <laughs> 
uh-uh. And the, uh, I think it would be great education, not just for a lot of young, uh, young magic aficionados, but I think uh, for everybody to see what it really uh, in it, what really goes on behind the scenes is uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. It, it, it's absolutely incredible. And the timing is just so, uh, you know, once again, I hearken back to one of my, uh, one of my heroes, uh, Ricciardi. And there are, uh, there are little shades that I see occasionally that really make me smile when I see my dear friend Lynn. Uh, and it kind of reminds me of, of, of a little, of a little something, whether it be a little move or, or the, it, the, the way a prop is, uh, is thrown and caught or, or just the way something is backstage and you go, well, that's never going to get where it's supposed to be. Oh, it's there. How did, that, how did that happen? And once again, that's not the audience. That's, you know, that's this Jamoke sitting on the side of the stage who just has to come out and say, good evening. Here's Lynn. Bye. You know, uh, well, Lynn, when you guys were, so you guys were both young magicians. I assume there were other people in that group that did not end up becoming professional magicians. Lynn, did you, I, I, did you both know that you guys were going to be magicians forever? Was that never in question or, or was there ever a, a, a possibility of another job? No, no, I don't think so. Right, John? No, no. The only other job I had is I worked for a detective agency for a short period of time. I think the only job Lynn had other than magic was tea saleswoman. I have a photographic evidence of that. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, during her, uh, her her hair modeling days. Oh, yeah. my goodness. I think right. that was how Lynn looked when I met her as a kid. Um, this this photo, by the way, uh, Marietta would wanted to join us, uh, but he unfortunately has no electricity. Um, there's some power outages oh. up on the East Coast. But this photo is interesting because it's Marietta. Yes. Uh, there's also, uh, there's two other mayors uh, in this photo. There's Mayor Lang and uh, Bill's real name, uh, I believe, uh, sorry, Michael Bornstein. Mike Bornstein, his real name was Mayor. Mm. So that it's Lang and three yeah. mayors. And yeah. uh, Maurice Farnell. Yes, yes. Ah. Yeah, yeah that, that's when um, I remember it would, used to be in my, my technical rider that I would need an extra hotel room just for my hair. <laughs> There, I feel like you could hide doves in there. I think it could be a method. Oh, definitely. It came in really, really handy, Harrison. <laughs> it's awesome. It's also, I love it too, because everybody else sort of, uh, it's like very old school, too old even for when this was filmed. And you seem like of the moment and all attention is on you immediately. John, would you agree that that's uh, the effect that Lynn has in a room is, I feel like that, there's no way to look at this ad and not be immediately drawn to Lynn over every, everybody else. Most definitely. It's who she is. It's who she is. Uh, and you know, Harrison, as, as as time goes by, more and more I consider hair to be a privilege. Um, yeah. And I just, I just, yeah. Uh, and I just hate to see people abuse that privilege. <laughs> well, John, thank you so, so much for joining. It's so good to see you. Well, um, I love, I, I love you that both. you guys have known each other for so long. It's amazing. Um, and you guys, I think, still live uh, like 25 minutes away from each other, right? You guys are still yes. in your lives as much as you were when you were 14 or 15. Yeah, and Lynn is actually working on a project for me right now. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I know. I can't wait, John. It's going to be great. Uh, thank be you great. so much for joining us. Harrison, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, My pleasure. And I love everything that you're doing. The shows have been great. I know you'd asked me before. Unfortunately, I've not been able to to be with you. Um 
but I've been watching and it's it's terrific. It's just great stuff. Uh, well, thank you so much. Love you, brother. You're a beast. I'll see you soon. John says, everybody, you can follow Ready. him at John on Twitter. John Stetson. Uh, we have a few more minutes with the great Lynn Dillies. So if you have any questions, please put them in the comments below. That's uh, via Facebook or via YouTube. Um, I can ask those uh, questions. So make sure uh, you put them into the comments. The first question already coming up is how many people do you employ just for your animal management when you work with them? Oh my goodness. Very specific well, question. Um, they're, they're not regular employees, but when I when I worked with the, um, the elephant and donkey, we had to have um, about four professional trainers with each animal. And uh, it, it, it took about 12 people just to pull that illusion off. It, it was uh, it was a huge endeavor, but we, um, we were very, very careful to make sure that no harm would come to the animals, the trainers, the audience, my crew. Yeah, it's very, very important to us. But one of the things that struck me in reading uh, uh, Your Vote is Magic, which I'll put the website up, it's definitely worth buying. And as we are in an election year, um, uh, just as important as it was uh, back in 2008. Um, but uh, one of the things that was interesting is the journey of getting that trick done. There's so many points, um, going to the mayor's office, going to the zoo, finding the donkey, training the donkey, training the elephant and the donkey. There's so many points where uh, things seemed insurmountable or, or uh, might be the moment where all of a sudden you couldn't do the trick. What was the drive that pushed through um, those, those obstacles? Honestly, Harrison, I, I felt like I was guided by by my dad. I just knew how proud he would have been. He he was he was the force behind everything. You know, um, I felt so driven. I felt like somehow or another, what was going to happen in those three minutes during that illusion would, you know, it would pave the way for my message to continue and it would be part of my legacy. And and it's become incredibly important to me. To, uh, to take that whole voting message and transform it into a way that I can teach young people about the importance of voting in their lives. And that's what I'm doing now. Um, my live assembly that I put together, combining my voting message with my magic, it was a PowerPoint with the illusions. Uh, all those live assemblies have been canceled, unfortunately. So I thought, how can I make sure that this effort doesn't go to waste, especially with this big election coming up? So I've been working on putting together a video so it'll be a virtual um, visual civics lesson for students around the country and a lesson plan will accompany it as well so that's one way where i can get it right into the schools so i'm super excited about that and that's what i've been working on for the past couple of months and i feel like that that seems like such a trend um one of the things when i was talking to marietta earlier today um that he said to me about you that that struck me was how inspirational you, you've been. And he said, if he had uh, infinite money, he would put you in every school in the world um, because uh, what you, your message in all your shows uh, is so powerful. Um, has that always uh, been a drive for your magic in terms, not, not every magician goes on stage to inspire people, but your vote is, is magic is in, to inspire people to act and to vote. Your school shows is to inspire people to overcome adversity. Your symphony show is to inspire people to love classical music. Uh, how, how does that become the, the thread? It's, it's such an amazing thing uh, about you. Oh, thank you, Harrison. Um, I, I view it as this, you know, that we're all born with some kind of a gift, something really, really special and unique inside of us. And some people don't know what that gift is for many, many years. 
But for me, fortunately, I knew at 12 years old what my gift was. And of course, that's magic. And when you finally discover what your gift is, you have to make sure that you unwrap that gift and share it with the world to make it a better place, to make a difference. That's how I, I view my gift. You know, um, I'm very, very blessed to do something that I love. Uh, you know, there are some times when, and I'm sure like you, you're on stage, you pinch yourself. You can't, you can't even believe that you're getting paid to do this because you love it so much. So my, my magic is sort of the hook. It's the hook to get out there and make a difference. And, um, and that's, that's what makes me tick. That's, that's what it's all about for me, to inspire young girls, let them know, listen, you know, I, I, can, I can be successful in a very male-dominated career, um, teach, teach young people about the importance of music, classical music, and most especially to teach them that they have an important voice, use it wisely, get out there, make a difference, vote, it's extremely important. So, and all of that is possible because of my gift of magic. Yeah, yeah one of the things that struck me when doing uh, the research on you, because you were on the cover of Magic Magazine back in 2005, and there wasn't another female magician on the cover until 2011, and it was Lisa Simpson. Uh, <laughs> and I think, I think uh, your, your, your presence uh, inspired, I mean, not just, just little girls, but little boys as, as a little boy who was inspired by you. Um, and I just think it's it's phenomenal. Um, we have another very specific question um, in the chat. It just says, do you have any scheduled shows? I think people just want to see you perform. Uh, I imagine they're on hold during the pandemic. Sad to say, they are all on hold. Yes, every single show right now has been postponed indefinitely. So we all have to just hang in there. We all need more magic in our lives. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to carry on. It will continue. Yeah, and I, I do imagine uh, once shows start, uh, start underway, you'll be one of the first people back on stage. It'll wow. be you and me racing, racing for the microphone. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> uh, we're almost at the end. Uh, I guess uh, uh, this this might be a tough question, but um, at the end of your career, which hopefully won't be for a very, very long time, but looking back, uh, what what would you like your legacy to be in magic if you, if you could choose now? Really and truly, um, it's it's sort of um, encompassing everything that that I just explained. It's uh, I, I don't proclaim to be the best illusionist in the world, best magician in the world. Far from that. But I hope that just my my gift of magic in general can um, just somehow make the world a better place. I love that so much. Uh, and the final question, because this is uh, being broadcast uh, and presented by the International Brotherhood of Magicians. There's a lot of young magicians who are watching who I'm sure are already greatly inspired thus far. But uh, what advice do you have for a young performer, magician, entertainer um, uh, in their career as they, as they look at uh, performing magic uh, and, and becoming Lindillies eventually? What I would tell them, and this is part of the whole journey, it's, it's a process to discover who you are as a performer. You know, there, there's so many different um, types of magic that you can go into. And sometimes you have to experiment a lot, but hone in on who you are as a performer. And, and once you're really comfortable in your shoes on stage, then anything is possible. And you have to love every single element of what you do, whether it's the performing, whether it's the, the business end of things, whether it's the creative process. Um, and I can't, you can never underestimate the value of practice. 
some of some of these kids, you know, they, they get a trick and they want that instant gratification. And you have to, I mean, you have to be so diligent about practicing. Don't do a trick until it's really perfected. And you don't even have to think about it. You know, it's just, it's literally, when once you do that trick, it's just, it, it just becomes so natural to you. And um, that's pretty much it. But I, I really think that you have to define who you are as a performer. That's fantastic advice. Lynn, thank you so, so much for joining me. It's been an absolute uh, honor and pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, if people would like to follow Lynn, and I hope they do, go to magicoflynn.com. There's a lot of great stuff there. Uh, and of course, yourvoteismagic.org. Um, check out that website, purchase the book. Uh, Lynn, thank you so, so much for joining. And I hope uh, our, our paths cross again soon. Absolutely, Harrison. My best to you. You're doing an awesome job. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I, one of the reasons I'm here is you, so I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Mwah. Lynn Dillies, everybody. Unbelievable. Make sure you follow her at magicoflynn.com. Your vote is magic.org. And a huge thank you to our special guest. You can go to Wellington ENT. Uh, that's short for enterprises. Uh, enterprise, wellingtonent.com. You can check out uh, all of Bill's work, uh, purchase his work. It's fantastic. Go there. Uh, and of course, follow John Stetson at John Stetson on Twitter. A fantastic mentalist, fantastic performer. Definitely check out his work when you have a chance as well. And uh, you can follow me on the social medias at Harrison Comedy. That's on Twitter and on Instagram, technically on TikTok, but I'm also an adult. And um, you can download this episode and all previous episodes at whobooksat.com. That's all the videos. You can watch all the past videos and download it as a podcast. Keep those reviews coming in. Keep those five-star reviews coming in. I appreciate them very much. Uh, the International Brotherhood of Magicians appreciates them very much. It gets the word out about the show, and we really, really appreciate it. Uh, please join the IBM or renew your membership if you already are a member. It's magician.org slash join dash the dash IBM slash join. Pretty simple. Magician.org is IBM's official website slash join the IBM slash join. Uh, definitely a fantastic organization worth joining and participating in. This show is every Wednesday next week. I'm taking a quick break, but uh, oh, man. The guests that we have when I come back uh, are spectacular. They're going to blow your mind. They're going to blow your mind. So make sure you tune in uh, uh, Wednesday at 7 p.m. Uh, not this Wednesday coming up, but the Wednesday after. Um, oh, boy. Uh, keep keep your eyes peeled for the announcement of who the guests are coming because they're huge, and it's going to be so fun. So go to uh, whobookstat.com, at Harrison Comedy. You get all that information. And that's it. That's been Who Books That. Thank you so much for watching all around the world. Peter Samuelson is in the house. Big hugs to Peter as well. Sending hugs to Lynn and John. Uh, we have Georgie. He's saying yes. Um, there's a hey there. Um, we literally have people coming in from uh, the East Coast, the West Coast, from Australia, um, from all different countries. So thank you guys so much uh, for tuning in. Somebody from England as well. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. My name is Harrison Greenbaum, and this has been Who Books That? Who books that with Harrison Greenbaum? I sing it every time and I don't know why. It's presented by the IBM that stands for International Brotherhood of 